What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at talklouder underscore podcast. And, of course, our website, talklouderpodcast.com, where you can find links to our merch and links to all of our previous episodes. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And, uh, again, we've got another good one, man. We've got Kirk Winstein from Down, Crowbar, Kingdom of Sorrow, multiple other bands. Uh, great guy, the, the godfather of sludge metal guitar, maybe. Can we say that? I, I think so. I, probably, because, yeah. uh, well, you just fucking did. Yeah, and, I, and I'll stand by that. I mentioned yep. in the conversation that I think, you know, a lot of uh, younger guitar players from a newer generation might look to Kirk the way that uh, guys our age look to Tony Iommi as far as uh, being a pioneer in this whole drop tuning, sludgy, heavy, heavier than heavy, uh, riff mongering. Yeah, it's not, it's not just heavy metal anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, be, it's completely beyond that. So yeah. of course they're going to, uh, you know, and they're in 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 they're from a movement. The new, whole New Orleans movement is is kind of important to kind of talk about just for a second. And yeah, it would have been great to pick his brain on uh, on that. You know why that kind of music comes from there. You know, because uh, it's a dark place. Did you yeah. know they they surpassed St. Louis as far as uh, they're the murder capital of the United States, now, New Orleans. Yeah, man, bigger. Well, it's always had a vibe. You know, New Orleans yeah. has always had that swampy voodoo vibe, and uh, you well, know. it's a hole. They're below sea level. People forget yeah. that, and it's like it, it, things can go little further south but not much when you're in down that low so <laughs> yeah. so they tune yeah. down they you know the, all of these uh all of this is leading somewhere to the sound of of this music and and i think that uh that kirk it's easy to say among others uh but kirk is like kind of like um the poster child for like you were saying for a style that uh you know, it's not it's not death metal. It's no. not black metal. It's not uh, it's closer to Pink Floyd than it is anything else when you kind of think about it. Um, I think that it's good to say that and he mentions this as well. And I know he's into hardcore, but he you know, that's a there's an element of that in Crowbar. So when you think about hardcore, you think about up-tempo and angry and, you know, you got something to say. It's, you know, usually how you feel about politics or whatever. But Crowbar's not that. But when you mix in that energy with something that's like, it's so slow, there's no tempo. Yeah. Or, or yeah. you know, the there's a lot of space. There's a lot of really long notes, you know. Yeah. Um, well, we've talked on the show before uh, how space and air and things like that can be just as heavy as a power chord. And, and we even uh, get into that about when we start talking about songwriting with Kirk today, which I that was my, probably my favorite part of the conversation was yeah. was how I think that everyone and all three of us kind of lit up when that that moment of that conversation was like, whoa, yeah, it's almost like we pressed a button and went there. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, he was but, a great guy, a great yeah. conversationalist. Uh, you know, obviously, you and I have met him numerous times and just couldn't be nicer in person, couldn't have been nicer today on the show. Uh, for all of his, uh, his scary appearance and the heaviness of his music, he really is a kind-hearted, nice guy. And uh, a lot of that came through on the episode today. So uh, I was glad we were able to track him down and he was willing to join us. He's not, even, he's not even feeling well, so he did this on the sick. So thank you, Kirk, for doing that. Yeah, he's, uh, he's suffering, like, I don't know, lack of better terminology, uh, like tour burnout. You know, he's just tired. Well, he's, uh, he, hard, he finished man. a long tour, and then he was he had to go to Orlando, and he did that. Um, I'm not going to call it, not going to really compare it to like a metal allegiance where it's a super group, but he went and did one of those kind of things with Jamie Josta and and uh, you know some other guys, and there, it, that's he was even in the press. I was kind of following that along, and they did a gig, and and he talks about it. Um, yeah. What another great episode today absolutely yeah 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 great to have him kirk winstein on the talk louder podcast let's let's start with bobby since uh, jason and i are in austin and obviously all three of us know bobby and we have some history with him uh Bobby uh, replaced you in Down uh, for the for the one window of time that you weren't in Down, and but prior to that he was teching for you uh, and on the road with Down. So tell me about a little bit about your relationship with Bobby Langraff and uh, how how you came to know him originally as a tech, and then how it is that he stepped into your shoes for a little bit. Well, Bobby and I actually have a good mutual friend, Gary Cato. Uh, and he was, he brought Bobby by my house. Well, I'd never met him. This was way, this is a ways back, but uh, he brought Bobby by and we were both kind of, I think it was a Saturday here and they had a gig that night or something. We were both kind of partying it up a bit, but, uh, we just sat there and played guitar together and shot the shit literally for hours, you know, and, um, they had the show that night. I couldn't make it, but they had the show. Was it honky? We kind of stayed friends, and then uh, was it a honky show, Kurt? Yeah, it was a honky yeah, show. Okay, and then um, he, his name came up as um, a potential uh, tech for Rex, actually, um, in 2006. For the it was the first uh, tour down had ever done in uh, in Europe, and he came up as a potential name because I think he had just finished teching for Dusty Hill or something, yeah. you know, yeah. somebody awesome and um so rex is like you know gave him a call and talked to him and said yeah fuck let's get this guy you know and uh he just kind of went from working for rex to then working for me and rex and then he switched to pepper for a while he kind of jumped around for a while and it was kind of one of those things i guess when you know when i parted ways we split whatever you want to call it for a bit there that you know bobby was the only natural choice so you know uh being uh being that he's a, a really good friend and uh he had hit me up about a few questions on on how to play some of the shit and i said well dude just come meet me at the jam room and video with the phone you got a question you ask me a riff and we'll go over it together or whatever man you know so uh i hit him up uh hit the first first show he did with him and said you know get out there and kill it brother nice, nice. yeah um, well we were the same to me when i was back with the 
Absolutely. Yeah, you know, we were all super proud of him. We were proud of him when he was teching for you. <laughs> and then we, got, then we were really proud when uh, he, he became a member of Down and actually performed on stage. Uh, so why why is it that you left at that particular time and and Bobby stepped in? Um, honestly, it was the first time in in my whole life of touring because I had just gotten with with Robin. Well, not just gotten, but you know, we had just got married, and it was really the first time. I mean, no disrespect to other girlfriends and my daughter's mom or anything, but when it was time to go on tour in the past, I'm like, yes, I can't wait to go. Can't wait to go. You know, and it was like the first time ever that I was like, I'm really depressed. You know, it was the first time, I think it was the worst depression I ever had being on tour, which led to like, you know, off days on my own and, you know, in a, in a hotel room in Romania or something and it's freezing cold and shitty weather and I'm all doomed up and just, you know, waiting to call Robin, which led to, you know, depression sometimes will lead to hitting a bottle, you know, and whatever, man, it was just a, a rough time on me. And I, I, you know, I was talking with, with uh, Phil and, you know, and, um, and Snake Sabo uh, from Skid Row, who was managing us with Don McGee Entertainment. And, um, you know, they were just kind of like, well, you know, eh, maybe it's time we just move on and, I, and, and keep our, you know, without fucking our friendship up. And I was, I said that in so many words, that's what it was about. And I said, you know what, that's perfect. And, and Robin said, look, man, if you want to do Crowbar full time, she goes, I'll come, I'll come with you. We'll do, I'll do the merch. You know, you can kind of help me learn the whole business and this and that. And uh, shit, that was over nine years ago now, you know, so. Uh, right. It worked out great for me because I, be, I got happy again, you know, uh, Got got much healthier and uh, and it was fun. And I mean, even to this day, I get excited. Uh, she's like got kind of designing merch for our upcoming European uh, tour with with Sepultura and Sacred Reich. And I, I told her, that any time you're on the phone doing business, I get excited because you know that's our life. It's kind of like a family business now. It's a whole crowbar thing. But um, it was kind of how the whole thing went down. Honestly, it was just a situation. Where I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm actually you know. Which made me know that she's the right woman for me, sure. of course. But it was, you know, uh, I was like, no, I just needed, and I just, we all needed a break from each other anyway. You know, it's like, you know, everybody says it, and it's true. It's like, you know, down, um, you know, it's five very strong personalities, and we're kind of used to, you know, at least uh, Phil, uh, Pepper, and myself, and Jimmy. Really, we're kind of kind of used to leading our own, own bands and shit. So when you have to, you know, it's not really an ego thing. It's just more or less where we can butt heads very easily. Sure. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, when it's magic, it's magic. And that's the beauty of it, you know. But it was just, it worked out great time-wise. It really did because they had asked me to come back it prior to COVID. For, it worked out for everyone because everyone spent more time on their own project. Big time. Like Pepper got back involved, you know, with, with COC and mm -hmm. Jimmy with I God, whatever. Because we had made a pact with each other. Uh, and back in 2006, for the first European tour, the one that Bobby came out with, and we just said, okay, from now on, down's our main band. You know, our, our other bands are now all our side bands. Yeah. Um, 
and it were it ended up working out great you know in the end for everyone but when i was asked to come back and do uh some european festivals in 2020 which we finally were able to do this june you know i told them i would love to you know and i had read you know what pepper was like you know well since the band's pretty much broke up he said i'll do it again but i, I want to do it if kirk comes back because you know by then i mean we had started hanging out a little bit and uh, i think one thing that really helped was um coc took crowbar out on two two pretty long north american tours you know like like 40 day not date you know like not shows but you know 38 40 day long tours one earlier in the year and one at the end of the summer and uh it's like you know hanging out with pepper outside of business and outside of being in a band with him we had a blast every night we're just buddies hanging out listening to fucking music and and sipping some beers man you know it was great so it really got gotten our you know our relationship a lot tighter even though we always got along well you know it was sometimes you got to step away from things you know and then sometimes it, you know, to see to make it happen better or whatever so i've enjoyed you know the time i've had back with them and you know hopefully after um phil with the pantera thing uh you know we'll we'll continue doing doing some down stuff but it, it's turned into um what it was originally gonna be which was a, a side project you know so i want to be as busy as i can with crowbar pepper same with coc we're trying to work some stuff out to possibly do some shows overseas together and uh you know i told jimmy just dude keep as busy as you can with i got you know and uh you know just keep we it's not like we don't have our own killer things going on no we love to do that and really it's almost more of a like oh my god downs playing so people know that we play such few shows now that they travel from all around you know and the shows are really are, i mean they were always successful thank god but even more so now you know so it's one of those things man but it just worked out ended up in a big picture of things working out great almost yeah. better that it's a unicorn instead yeah. of yeah. like a full a full thing all the time i want to throw in i kind of hate the word but super group you know about how you guys all are you already said it best you all are you know you lead your you're used to like uh you know steering things along with your own project so when you get all of these leaders together um it could be a recipe that could go either way, good or bad. Uh, yeah, it has from time to time. Yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine there's been some uh, human explosions. Yeah. Um, but and that's that's to be expected. That's what I'm trying to say is you guys are all brothers. It's all family. But it's kind of like, you know, uh, you know, being in a family, it's like, somebody you know it's like the weird you know all the weird cousins and weird uncles show up to thanksgiving you're like oh this fucking guy again oh hey how's it going you know what i mean you don't want it to be like that you no. want it to be the way that it should be and that is where you guys are all uh missing each other and wanting to help each hold each other up in the right ways and being able to steer your health where it needs to go so you leaving down to david's question right you leaving down i'm not going to call it health reasons because you didn't but it was a way for you to have a dis make a decision on to steer your health in the right way with the help of robin with the help of crowbar 
because it was kind of like you had it was time for you to go home for a little while and then ultimately yeah. it just seemed like that opened everything else up to happier times anyway and it did you know and, and the thing is like i said you know it, it's just it worked out great i mean um you know for for crowbar and and for everybody yeah and, uh, yeah man you know, it just it brought it brought you know a lot of attention to crowbar and that was a good thing for us but uh i mean i certainly didn't do it for attention but you know it really you know like it just it helped me out as a, as a human being as a husband you know as a as a father as a stepfather and a grandfather and a, a dog puppy dog father and a whole lot you know, you know and got me uh, where you know i was out there and I, I didn't mind man you know doing you know 20 25 30 shows in a row whatever it took you know uh, helping unload the gear kind of like the old school you know old days and stuff man and uh you know but it, it, it's all good you know so you can't it, that, that's you can't bitch about that it's all good no i yeah. uh i want to throw in the uh <clears throat> we're kind of jumping all over the place my that's how kind of my brain that's what we do yeah i'm the worst about like i'll i'll talk for 10 minutes ago now what was the first question yeah huh? yeah it doesn't even matter you just the fact that you're telling <laughs> stories and hanging hanging with that's, two yeah. two guys who understand that it's good um i it's interesting the you know, is it a good thing or a bad thing way back in the day when MTV would play Crowbar and there's Beavis and Butthead snickering at it? it did it help you? Did it hinder you? Did you oh, think it, it was, helped? Uh, in a because, weird way, I'm sure. But yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we actually, we truly did. We sent Mike Judge like a care package, you know, because we were big fans of the show. We're like, oh, yeah. All right, let's send him the proper format he needs on VHS or whatever to play this thing with some T-shirts and stickers and my handwritten note and all that kind awesome. of shit. Look, man, you know, we're, we're, you can make all the fun you want of, of, you know, us being some kind of, a couple of us being overweight guys, to say the least, you know, but, um, you know, the cool thing was, I mean, they didn't think we sucked. They were just making fun of us because we were fat. So I'm like, as long as they're rocking out, I can take it, you know. But, dude, uh, it, it's the truth. To this day, all over the world, there's barely one gig that comes by that somebody doesn't say, man, I found out about you guys from Beavis and Butthead. So in hindsight, there's no way you can really say it didn't help, you know. And, like, to right. quote, uh, I think, Gene Simmons, you know, um, I don't really, I don't care what they say about me as long as they spell my name right. All publicity yeah. is good publicity. So yeah. it's like, even if we might have been the, the, the joke out there for a bit as the big fat guys who play heavy stuff, it's okay. It worked. Here we are 30 something, you know, years later, whatever. I would, I would argue that even, uh, even Kip Winger would say that Beavis and Butthead was beneficial. <laughs> and, and, and Winger took a, a, a lot of heat from Beavis and Butthead, but uh they spelled the name right they you know and then the one guy wore the t-shirt and uh you know a lot of people probably got turned on to winger because of beavis and butthead the the cool thing is that the heavy bands like crowbar and i know white zombie got a big boost from uh from beavis and butthead as well uh but you're absolutely right that show was a pop culture phenomenon and if you're included in it in any way uh good or bad fortunately you were on the good side uh, you you can't deny that it had some sort of impact on on your career. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah. it's it's obvious that they were also uh, leaning into having. Uh, they favored the heavy bands. They liked oh, everything yeah. that was heavy, and 
and and crushing and and anything that was light in the pants or kind of silly or had a bunch of keyboard sounds or what you know whatever it was they were they were building walls around those as to what they were going to bash and what they were going to praise so and then yeah. the thing with winger is i was thinking i was thinking of that the other day i'm like because I actually love Winger. I think they're Dude, one of they're a great fucking band. Era, musicianship wise and yeah. everything. Yeah. They're great songs, great, yeah. amazing playing. And I do, I love the band. And I was like, I see that there's a new movie or something coming out, you know, with me. Yeah, that's that. right. I'm yeah. Like, I'm like, I was laughing to myself because I, um, I've seen, you know, I read a few articles here and then seen a few things with, with Kip Winger, who I really respect, you know, over the years. And uh, I'm like, you know, I'm sure they're still going to have like the nerdy fat kid with the winger shirt, but you know, it's still pressed for winger. You know, so I mean, right. you, you know, you really can't go wrong. Yeah, it makes even a. I mean, it's a joke. We know, we know that it's a cartoon. It's a, yeah. it's a comedy thing. It's a joke. But even in real life, you know, when people start hating on on things, it piques people's interest to be like, well, why are they hating on this band so much or this movie or whatever it might be? And they go well, check it out. And a yeah, lot of yeah. them end up going, fuck that, I love it, you know? Well, and it's a sign of uh, maturity. You, have, you haven't really grown up. I mean, it, it's it's easy to make fun of Winger or Striper or or, or bands like that. That uh, th The thing is, is you better be careful what you say because they're the real musicians. They're That's the true. real singers. They're the real songwriters. Right. And they will kick your ass with musicality. You know, it's it's yeah. very very interesting that a lot of musos t take a take. A, it also gives headbangers a bad name. It's like you know, going around, you know, knuckle dragger, mouth breather. You know, it's like <laughs> they don't realize that that headbangers are actually intelligent people who read books and listen to jazz. Yeah, very uh, true. <laughs> they listen to Striper and they listen to Winger too. Uh, they might be in a death metal band that's, you know, big, big as Kiss, but they, but they don't, they always get a bad, you know, metalheads get a bad name in movies and things like that. And I'm sure Beavis and Butthead didn't help that. No. Help Headbangers <laughs> win that battle. But at yeah. the same time, I think that that's, you know, feeding the misconception can be fun too. So. Yeah, big time. And it's yeah. true. But it, it, and. You know, in general, yeah, we we do. You know, I think uh, when, you know a lot of times when when people first interview, you know, not so much today, but you know, bring it back to the beginning of it all. You know, and when they first start interviewing guys, like you know, one of the best things ever was like the 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 famous I won't even call it infamous, you know, D Snyder PMRC thing where yes, sir. they thought they had some. Uh, drug head, you know, dope head, stupid, fucking uneducated motherfucker that's going to come in and mumble a bunch of shit and be drunk and all that. And he whips out his crumpled up piece of paper and tears him into an asshole. One of the greatest things ever. I never yes. get tired of watching that video of him sitting in front of them. I don't either. I never get tired of watching that. Every time that pops up, I'll watch D. Snyder just go off on them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's a beautiful thing. So, Kirk, uh, you bring up a subject that I, I I wanted to bring up at some point, but I'll bring it up now. Uh, I know, you, obviously, you're a man of many tattoos, and one of the things I love about a lot of your tattoos is that they pay tribute to some of your favorite bands. You're covered in Iron Maiden, Saxon, Motorhead, Trouble. 
the dude know, has an armored saint tattoo. Yeah. Anyone with an armored anyone with an armored saint tattoo is a friend of mine. So here here's <laughs> two two questions since uh, you were just professing your respect for winger. Do you have a winger tattoo and would you get one? I do not have one. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily I mean run out to get one, but <laughs> if I did like on, you know, I, I wouldn't be embarrassed of it, you know. Right. Okay, it, it, so here's the other part of that uh, that point. Um, I noticed that you have uh, the Led Zeppelin swan song, and you also have uh, a couple of Motorhead tattoos. And this is something I didn't know until just earlier this year, but did you know that the artist that created the swan song, Angel, and the guy who does the Motorhead album covers is the same artist? Wow. I had no idea. Joe Patagno. Yeah, yeah. I actually, a friend of mine, I borrowed a book of, of his, you know, like all the album cover, all the Motorhead stuff and just different posters and a lot of his own stuff that he did and all. See, I had no idea that he was the, uh, you know, I had no idea it was the same guy. It's the same guy. There you go. There's, there's, your, there's your happy hour trivia question. You can win a beer off that. That's amazing. <laughs> No, I'm glad, I'm glad to find that out because, you know, uh, I got the Swan Song thing when we were doing the Down 2 record. Uh, um, and it was, we just kind of, I mean, we didn't even have time to listen to music, but I, I think one of, we were just trying to get the vibe a little bit. And for me personally, like, uh, I was probably listening to more Zeppelin than any other band during the making of that record. Because wow. I mean, we lived out at Phil's property, you know, at the house and the, the lair and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I mean, we had, we didn't have days off. I mean, we just worked in shifts and it was crazy. Um, but yeah, I was really into, uh, into Zeppelin, um, at the time. And I mean, as I always have been since I was oh, a kid, yeah. I was really going through a Zeppelin phase and I said, you know what, fuck it. So, cause our tattoo, the guy that does most of my tattoos and he's, he's done Phil and Dime and everybody, you know, uh, he was like, man, I can bring all my shit out, you know, to, to Phil's. And we said, hey, come on. Wow. Uh, we did. And I, I was actually listening to, uh, I think we listened to uh, the whole the song remains the same and I listened to Presence because I think Achilles' Last Stand's probably my favorite Zeppelin song. Mm. And a lot of people so, are like, which song? You know, that aren't like were, were big you, fans. Were you uh, the one or did you have anything to do with the, the title of that down record, Bustle in Your Head? Good right? question. That was all, all Phil, but I think, I think that's wow. subconsciously or maybe consciously because of all the Zeppelin talk and different stuff, kind of vibes we were trying to throw around with it. And really the whole idea of the record or, or, or what started it was we don't need, let, let's, let's, let's put ourselves in like rock and roll slash metal jail. Okay, let's lock ourselves out in the middle of nowhere, rent an entire truck full of studio gear, bring it out, and make ourselves write and record 15 songs in 28 days. And that's exactly what we did. We lived out there. I went home Thanksgiving Day to eat lunch with my mother and went back back that evening. And that was the only break we even had. And that was, that was way toward the end. <clears throat> um, but yeah, we made ourselves just live and breathe, you know, kind of like, uh, 
our version, our southern uh, swampy version of, you know, renting a castle in Wales and bringing in some stuff to record or whatever, you know. Yeah. But the whole, that was kind of the whole thing. And then Phil, Phil was like, well, you know, we thought about just saying, okay, we got down to the level. Like, Maybe just call it down too. And he goes, dude, do you think it's cheesy if we called it a bustle in your hedgerow? And I said, I like it, you know, and he goes, a lot of people aren't going to know, you know, what it's from, even though us older dudes obviously know it, you know. Yeah. And I said, no, man, I think it's a, I think it's a great idea. So that was, that was a to totally a fail thing. I think, it, I, I think it's genius. I think that it, that it, uh, it says a lot about where you guys were. And I never knew that you guys, I, I think I knew you guys recorded at Phillips, but I don't. I didn't realize it was like a, you know, a bunker type of a thing. Yeah. I see I I did and that's one of the things I was going to ask about and and I think uh Kirk more or less covered it here, but I I was going to ask about the recording experience because I knew that you guys were all holed up at Phil's house and it's basically a barn out in a swamp and you guys and, and it's the, you know, it's the band and like you said you're just sort of isolated out there in the middle of nowhere. And I was curious to know if there was any particular moment uh, during that session that sparked a, a real creative, uh, a, a moment of real creativity that, that you wouldn't have captured anywhere else because you were so isolated and it was just the, you know, the band together in this weird environment, sort of shut off from the world. And, you know, you probably got a couple beers going or whatever. Um, <laughs> what, yeah, so... Was was there a moment where you all looked at each other and went, whoa, we're onto something, you know, really heavy here, really, really cool here, and let's run with it? And what did that turn into, if so? I mean, I would say that once we became comfortable with what we were going to be dealing with, that it was almost impossible to stop the creativity. Like, well put. As much, as much as everyone is so, and I get it, and of course, I am too so proud of and, and so high on the Down Nola record. You know, lately, if I happen to put on Down, which, you know, it's, I don't, most musicians don't listen to their own shit very often. I put on an old album they hadn't heard 15, 20 years. It's just, oh, wow, man, bring, you know, just kind of bring back a little nostalgia. But like, uh, you know, for me, it was just like, well, once we, once we became like comfortable in our surroundings and, what we had created and we saw how quickly things were gone. You know, it's like we would be up till two o'clock in the morning and then we're cutting scratch tracks on drums at 8 a.m. for the song that was completed at two in the morning. And then people just slept, slept in shifts when we did sleep. And it was Phil stayed in his house, which is not a barn, you know, it's a real house. <laughs> house. Yeah. And uh, Rex stayed in one of the spirits in there. And uh, Jimmy, I think he might have stayed. He might have stayed in there, too. But uh, Pepper and I uh, literally, I slept on the couch on top of the studio. And Pepper slept in like a little kid's bunk bed thing or something. Uh, and uh, that was kind of, that was it. I mean, Pepper's one of them guys that, that's up uh, hammering nails, you know, and rebuilding his car at 7 a.m. every morning anyway. <laughs> So I'd be exhausted and hung over as fucking and I smell breakfast getting cooked. He's like, come on, boy, get up. I got breakfast. And I'm like, dude, I only slept like three hours. Fuck that. You'll be fine. Come on. <laughs> and we get up and eat a little breakfast and we go downstairs and, you know, sure enough, Rex is laying down big, easy, still up from the night before or whatever. And we just kind of, but we would find a time together 
to go over everything and have a couple of hours. Really, most of the songs were honestly written in in a couple of hours. You know, some of them might have, some of the ones that are a little more things like uh, lies and, uh, you know, learn from my mistake ones that were a lot more dynamic and a lot longer and more uh, epic-ish, for lack of a term, mm -hmm. that a term, you know. Um, those were, some, you know, sometimes might have been like two, you know, two-day songs and stuff, but a lot of the stuff was really put together you know, in like an evening. And then, like I said, Jimmy, you know, we, we play guitar and shit till we couldn't keep our eyes open. And, and, um, and you know, Jimmy be tracking drums in the morning. And to be honest, man, Rex, that was the first time I've really gotten to work with Rex as a musician, not just hang a hangout buddy, you know? Right, And maybe right. around a little bit. And it was like, he was so good on, on bass with these songs that were literally hours old that you know when it came to to do bass he pretty much reamped which i i had never even i didn't even know what reamping was he pretty much just reamped his scratch tracks and maybe punching a note here and there but that's how, how tight he was on stuff yeah he, he fed fed the scratch track into the into the main machine just through a, a filter or another a, a preamp or something and, and, and it's a it's the weirdest thing to like you know, like uh, say I'm 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 reamping something or whatever, and I got you know, I walk past my amp quietly to go take a piss or something, you know, at the bathroom over here, and I'm like, that's me playing out of the fucking Marshall cabinet right there, <laughs> you know. But it's I'm not really doing it, you know. But it's being recorded right now. It's it's a, it's a, but it's a cool thing. But but yeah, I mean everybody really played great. I mean. You know, some things took longer than others, but the whole experience, like I tell everybody, it's something that I'm so glad that we all did. But I know for me personally, I would I would never and could never do that experience again. But then again, that was, we started that around November 1st of, 20, of 2001. So that was, you know, coming up 21 years ago. Yeah. You know, so. you know the, the fantasy of, of doing that again is, sounds attractive. But now it nowadays it doesn't sound like it would be that comfortable. No, and I mean I didn't mind at the time. I mean to be honest, no. you know I was it was it was right before I got with uh, my wife, who is my my daughter's mother. You know, mm -hmm. like you know we was kind of casually dating, but nothing, but whatever. So I was still living at mom's. You know, I mean, so for me it was like just keep the beer and the crown royal coming, and you know. The, keep the guitars in tune and keep the amps cranked and let's just keep on jamming boys. Yeah. yeah. You're so that approach of, of writing for down Two, let's go back just for a minute, uh, or whatever, uh, for Nola, the first one in the nineties. And let's say, <clears throat> what would you say? 93, 92, you guys are starting to think like this. <clears throat> Um, 91 was the original wow. three song, excuse me, three song demo. I think um, I have that actually. I think I have that, down, that down demo. I think oh, I I'm sure, that. I'm sure, I'm sure that you yeah. do. Uh, it was done because Phil was still living in Arlington and Pepper was living in North Carolina, you know, at COC. It was actually before, a couple of years before Pepper even took over lead vocals for, for uh, COC. Right. So, um, you know, but. I remember just, you know, everybody kind of knows the story, but to try to make it short, we literally just, you know, grabbed a couple of bottles of Jägermeister and a bunch of cheap beer and some shitty weed or whatever. I went to our friend's house on the West Bank of New Orleans, 
And within a weekend, we wrote um, Temptations, Wings, Losing All, and Bury Me in Smoke. And Phil was writing the shit while we... (laughs) And literally, all, the best on, shit like, ever, too, dude. You know it is. Come on, yeah. And that it's was like so a Friday, you know, Friday yeah. afternoon slash evening, and then by Sunday morning, I'm guessing we were kind of doing a quick mix on the three songs, and we had to bring Pepper and uh, well, Pepper stayed in town. Well, we had to bring Phil to the airport to get back to you know Dallas area to do uh, Pantera shit because at that time. You know, Cowboys was out, and really, I think Vulgar might have been just just coming. Vulgar was, yeah, Vulgar was happening. If that was ninety one or ninety two, Vulgar was ninety one. And then, you know, uh, what we did, we did another demo with Lifer and uh, shit, something else on it. But most of those songs were written. um, It was the exact opposite. You know, we had the the big time uh, studio and the fancy stuff right here in, in, in New Orleans proper. And, um, you know, everybody, we still kind of worked on, on, on schedules. Like I'll, I'll, I'm more of a morning person. So I'd like to be there, you know, in the morning and, and, and do my shit, knock it all out and get home in the evening. And then Pepper would come in and do his stuff. But those, that stuff was, I, th- I know we wrote uh, the song rehab right before we went in the studio because I actually have uh, the five two-inch reels for the NOLA record in my closet right here. Wow. And um, uh, we, our working title for rehab was ZZ Top because we just thought it had a little Southern groove to it, you know. We didn't. So on, on the reel, it's called ZZ Top. ZZ but, Top. Uh, I know we wrote uh, underneath everything was was kind of the main one that was written like Pepper just came up with the dun 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 dun, 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 dun and everybody's like, that's cool. And Phil's on the mic going, all right, keep going, keep going, no more, two more times, two more times. All right, all right, we need to change. You know, somebody go to yeah. court, all right, stop, let's do this again. And we got a lot of this shit probably on the tape. Nobody's listened to them since uh, 90, like around, what was it, April or May of 95. So nobody's even listened, listened to it uh, since then. So we're thinking about, you know, it'd be fun to take it. Our bass player, Shane, um, from Crowbar, I think you met him, Jason, at the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, his brother, Jay, kind of runs studio in the country out in Bogalusa, uh, which is a really famous, that's like what Kansas did, leftover chore. And wow. you know, all, all in New Orleans, you know, Dr. John and Neville was all these things. Everybody's out there. There's been a lot of, and they still do. It's it's a real old school studio that but they've really kept it up, you know. And we we kinda wanna crank up the maybe if the tapes need to get baked or whatever, but just yeah. see just out of curiosity and go back and listen and maybe do some outtake shit or something at some point. Yeah, a little bit of a remix or remaster at least out yeah, there. Not to yeah. try to redo no no much. no no it's the fun, you know, like okay, sure. let's isolate this, you know, or even do it you know, film it, do a video of it and go back and listen. You know how you get these Eagle Rock puts them out and shit like the making of Motorhead, Ace yeah. State, you know, the yeah. making of all this. I've got a ton of those fucking things, even though I don't have a DVD any longer. But, um, <clears throat> you know, it'd be fun to do something like that. Yeah. But yeah. All of that stuff, unlike down to stuff, is like when we would play a local show every once in a blue moon for fun, basically. Um, uh, in fact, I remember one night Crowbar opening for Down and we opened for somebody else and only had like, like we tuned differently, so I'm in I'm in the middle of like changing string, changing strings, and trying to halfway get it intonated and all this shit in between bands. I'm like, I gotta hurry up and do this. 
Um, uh, so cause, yeah, we had like one guitar, I think for, for Crowbar and, and whatever, whatever it worked, but you know, we, but we did play most of those songs live. Um, sometimes with maybe a few different lyrics or whatever, but you know, Nola was, was the opposite. it's kind of like, uh, most bands in their journey of, uh, you know, writing their first record. And that's why I think so many people talk about the sophomore jinx, you know, where, yeah. okay, guys, first album, they great. We need you in the studio and back on the road. What y'all got? Man, you got nothing. Well, get in there and start writing, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. That's a, that's a famous story. That's a, almost should be in Spinal Tap, that little token of how it works. Yep. Did I, of, it, it, yeah. it goes both ways. It's like, okay, the album was a fucking hit. We got to keep you hot. Or the album flopped, we need a hit, so get in there, you know. But it's like either way, you know, back in those days, yeah, it was like that for a lot of bands. And for us, like not nothing, nothing whatsoever from down to was ever played live, you know, or anything uh, prior to being written and recorded at Phil's, you know. Yeah, you guys on NOLA, you guys had a little bit of time to, to, to flush a couple of the songs out. My question, yeah, my... and it did. It, it took it took four years as well from from the first jam to the actual entering the studio, you know, with a record contract to do the Nola record. Yeah, we went down two. We kind of, uh, you know, took took a pretty good long, pretty good break, and then when we got together with it, you know, we had time. We just we were written, you know, all this old like vintage gear and shit, and it was like costing a fortune every day because it, we right. basically turned the lair, which we call it out there by Phil's, into a mobile studio. Yeah. So it's like every day that you're renting a fucking two-inch uh, Studer tape machine and all this kind of shit and all these two, you know, preamps and all this console, you know, old school stuff that gets expensive, you know. Yeah, yeah did, and, and the fact that you were doing it on tape, you were doing it, were you doing it on tape or was it digital? We we did we did all the drums on tape. Okay. And I think we dropped them to Pro Tools. Right. Okay. Uh, Nola was on all, all on two inch, but you okay. know, we, but we really tried. I mean, of course, we punched in things here and there because the songs were like uh, so fresh, and it was just like I said, they would just be written, you know. And it's like, okay, you got to go. All right, Pepper will be like, all right, you know, I'll do the first solo. You got to do the second solo. So most of the guitar work and shit like that, I'm like, I'm listening to him in there doing his stuff, and I'm trying to write something, you know, to go kind of compliment it and go along with it. Of course. And it's like, all right, we're ready for you. Come on in, you know. So I'll grab a guitar and tune up and and whatever and do it. So, you know, it, I mean, of course, there's a few punch-ins and stuff here and there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but it was, you know, just the spontaneity of it made it made it wonderful. Did you did you guys? Uh, Jason mentioned uh, a bustle in your hedgerow. Did you guys ever hear from any of the Led Zeppelin guys regarding that that subtitle for your record? No, I'm, I'm kind of surprised we we didn't just for the hell of it. You know, somebody saying something. You know, yeah, because it's uh, very unique. It's obviously Zeppelin, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, well, of course, them dudes. You know, kind of, I'm sure keep us far away from the press as possible. Uh, and always and always have really but but yeah no, nobody really i mean the only thing i remember hearing about anything with with the down with the down two record that was really kind of crazy was that apparently um at ronnie james dio's memorial they mentioned that, that uh his his son or step uh i don't know if his son was adopted or if it was his, his, his son or whatever but mentioned something about how 
you know, his dad had, had started to lose some faith in just rock and roll and just the old way things were done because everything was changing so much. And he said that he heard this band called Down and went, wow, this is the way we used to do it, you know, the old school shit, because everything became just triggered and Pro Tools and every drum hits perfect and every everything is perfect, 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 you know. And we were doing it the old way. I mean, there's fuck ups left and right as far as just being raw rock, you know, which is gives it yeah. more integrity, really. Well, there's a difference yeah. in the way a, a record is going to sound when it's, you know, four or five guys in the garage, in, in the lair, in the right. garage, uh, sweating it out and like finding grooves that are like completely tangible you can cut with a knife, as <clears> opposed <throat> to a, this just digital where basically you've got a robot band, you know. I mean, you got they're writing songs. It could be a guitar and a guitarist, a drummer, a bass player, and a singer writing writing the songs somewhere. But by the time the record comes out, yeah, it's once too, it too studio, perfect. Yeah, and it is, and it's like you know, it's it's hard when you record these days. Like we don't really use any, you know, like we try as little as possible. Like I know on the drums, we didn't use any sound replacement on the latest Crowbar uh, Zero and Below. No, yeah, Tom. you know, Tommy, I think Tommy and I were talking about that in the parking lot there at yeah. Come and Take It the last time last time we were out there kind of being lot lizards hanging out. Uh, heavy, heavy metal parking lot, I should say. That it was. Yeah. Uh, we, he was talking about how, how like, you, you guys, and I'm pretty sure he was talking about the latest crowbar, about how you guys just mic'd up the kit <laughs> where it was. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, I mean, we moved it in, but he, we just, Dwayne Semino, who produced it, he's done okay. a lot before, and he did my solo record as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, um, you know, literally, the kit was mic'd and tuned, and, you know, he, it, it's all, it's it's all natural, you know. So yeah. it's kind of great uh, to get, because it's a killer drum sound, it really is, and it just brings back, I mean, it, I get it for, depending on, the type of music you play. I mean, if you're like black metal or something, just you're super fast with blast beats and ridiculously fast kick drums and all. I mean, I get it that you have to, you know, I mean, it's not, you can't have a John Bonham kick drum going, dah, 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 you know, it's just going to be a rumble. Yeah, yeah you got to have too woofy. Have yeah. a big, big uh, drum sound with, with the super fast stuff. And I mean, I get it, you know, it's just, but I mean, you hear stories and I'm sure a lot of, a lot of bullshit could be bullshit. I'm sure a lot of it's true where, you know, the bands just come in and, and it's, it's just kind of all, just everything put together, you know, in the studio. Now, with my um, my solo record, uh, a Dream Dream in Motion, uh, and I'm, I'm, I want to get on my second one, I'm almost finished with all the music to it. But with that, that was in, that's fully intended to be a studio thing. It's just me and Dwayne on drums, Dwayne will do a little keyboard and a little back guitar or something like that. But like everything else was, it was no, none of the songs were ever intended to be played live or anything else. So I would come in sometimes with one little jangly, you know, kind of weird Beatles-y sounding riff or something. And, you know, I'd, we'd lay down to a click, um, you know, like a, like a track left, track right, whatever. And, uh, you know, we just build it from there. You know, I'd, I'd come in the next day, maybe I'd listen to it. Come in, we put some heavier guitar, but I mean, all all of our stuff, sound wise, because it's not a band, it's just me. 
you know, like if I had a killer home studio and knew what the fuck what I, what I was doing, I, I would have been able to do it here, you know. But uh, I mean, Dwayne really helped out a million percent with that. But something like that's completely different than a band that's supposed to be, you know, four or five guys that are that are jamming, and then you go in and, and you just, you know. But a lot of times it's not their fault. It's the fucking producers, you know, or the yeah. record company. Doesn't yeah. Play. No, they want. We got to do this. You know, this band's last record did great. This guy mixed this and this and this and this. We he's got to mix your record. You know, even if you don't want him to. You know, a lot of times. I mean, you know how it is. They got the control in a lot of situations, you know. So a lot of times I'm not blaming the bands. You know, a lot of times it's out of their hands. Well, yeah. there's also the fear of, you know, all right, that's a wrap. And you send your, your masters, you know, quote, uh, to, to, to be mixed by someone you don't know. And if you're, if you're remote and then, you, and then you're, all right, we're going home, you know, we're not – you know, it's like that's I've always been afraid, like, yeah, you know, that someone from the band is not going to go oversee the mixing of their, this record that they just bled on, you know. <clears throat> so Ooh. that's scary, like letting it letting it go. It's like letting your children, you know, go to summer camp for the yeah. first time. That's got to be kind of scary. You know? Yeah, no, and it's, it's totally true, because, I mean, you know, how can I mean, like even with like Nola, like Phil. Well, we it was mixed here, and down two was mixed. Uh, I think Warren Record mixed it. Uh, to be honest, I'm not even sure. But uh, but believe me, like you know, Rex was involved. I know you know Pepper was involved. Whatever you know, people were involved with it. Now with Nola was done here, and then for mastering, I know Matt Thomas that used to play in Crowbar, he produced the Nola record. Mm -hmm. Him and Phil flew up to New York to the mastering plant, and, you know, just, you know, Matt even said, he goes, dude, I don't really know what all this mastering shit. Back then, you know, yeah. uh, the mastering plants, I mean, I mean, honestly, like with Crowbar and technology, the way it is these days and stuff like that, like Dwayne does, he mastered, no, he does send it off. But, it, but nowadays you can almost, you know, get it, you know, not as good as the old, the old uh, two inch tape, you know, warm sounding fucking, you know, ACDC stuff or whatever, you know, so, yeah. but um, you can get it good, you know, where, um, uh, you know, it, it's, you can do a lot with home studios and stuff these days, which oh, yeah. is great, in a way, you know, no doubt. I want to ask you about your, your solo album, Dream in Motion. Um, uh my my question is why did it take so long for you to do a solo record was it because you were so busy with other projects or did it take this long for you to have the vision uh that you wanted to present as a solo album i mean it's a great question and honestly it was star i started it in june I think June of 2017 and I finished it in June of 2019. And the reason was because I was so busy with Crowbar. It's like, I'd want to come home and Robin and I would want to chill and do some family shit and whatever, you know, be normal for a while. And, um, and then I, you know, I'd go, you know what, we don't leave for tour for like three weeks. I got time to knock out another song or two or something, you know, but uh, the whole thing is so spontaneous, like, especially lyrically, and like I said, I'll, I'll show up with like one simple, simple riff. And 
I, I got a bad habit. I've actually done it. Believe me, I'm in no hurry, but I'm just looking at my phone. And I'm like one of them. I need to know what time it is for people, even though I don't That's have to okay. be you know, but no, but the reason I'm saying that is getting to, because I'll get in there with Dwayne and tune up and kind of show him what I got going on, and I'll just out of my habit of kind of be on the CD, I'll be like, okay, like it'd be right now, it's five twenty-three, okay, and I I come up with something, and he throws in some suggestions, and next thing you know, I check my phone, and it's six eleven, and we already got the whole song like put together, and I'm like, Jesus, man, it's been a fucking less than an hour. So, of yeah. course, we go back and change shit, but we try to get, I just like doing things spontaneous. Lyrically, I would sometimes only have a few words, like a, like one phrase or a couple of one-liners or whatever, and I would just go, I'd take a pen and, and my notebook and go into the vocal booth, put on the cans, and um, just take one, I'd write a line and sing it, and Dwayne's like, I like that, all right. So I'm like, give me a minute, you know, boom, 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 boom. And then I'd go home, He'd send me, you know, like an email or whatever. I listen to it and go, I don't like the way I saying this, or I don't like this line's kind of cheesy. Mm -hmm. So I go back the next day and change that shit real quick, and then we get to work on something else. But with that stuff, it, it made it so. It like the way I feel about the solo record thing is, there's no reason to ever stop doing them because they take a while, but there's no time, you know, there's no time constraint, there's no pressure, there's no anything. So it's like, I enjoy it. Like when I get home from this Dejure thing, uh, we actually have a decent chunk of time off with, uh, with Crowbar before we get busy again. And we're pretty much gonna be overseas like all summer on and off, which is great. Um, but uh, yeah, I got a couple of months where I think I'll be able to just complete the next record, you know, and, uh, and Dwayne, like, um, well, I guess I can say it's kind of a lucky thing, but. He only lives like I'm, and I'm not exaggerating. He's not he, maybe five minutes from from us, and he ended up basically building pretty much a copy of the studio that we've been recording at, but in his backyard. Wow. He's got a big house with like a huge double garage, and it's even nicer, you know. Um, like he built the other one. I mean, like by hand with his carpenter friends, you know, designed it, just gutted it out and built everything, got the gear, built all the racks for everything, the whole nine yards. And um, he did the same thing, but it, now it's, it's right down, you know, if Robin's like, dinner's ready. And I, like, I told the same thing with him because he, he's got a, a really good day job. And I'm like, dude, this way I, I could be working on something and you can go eat dinner with the family. If I can come right back out and get back to work, you know, and I'm like, it's great, you know, so. Yeah, yeah know. that's convenient. That's going to be, <clears throat> that's going to make everything a little bit more graceful for you. Yeah, it's going yeah. to be killer. It's, it's going to be, I mean, I love the studio and we still rehearse in the same building. It's just, that's, it's kind of a separate thing, but we still rehearse there. That's our rehearsal spot. So, um, but I haven't been, he just keeps sending me photos and I've been so, so busy and then, the last few days, I've just been like, I told Robin, I'm, I'm like, I know I don't have COVID, even though I've had it already. I got my shots and all that crap. But um, I said, the way I am, like, the way I've been feeling, like, just like so exhausted. And she's like, well, maybe this whole, you know, 50 something day tour. And then we came home literally on a Sunday. We had Monday off at home to do laundry and do a little cleaning up around the house. And we flew Tuesday. Uh, to Orlando, and uh, I did, uh, we went to Universal, um, 
the little, you know, universal attractions, attractions or whatever it is out yeah. there in Orlando. We went, me and Robin and, uh, and Jamie Johnson and uh, Howard Jones. Um, we went out there for the day. Howard's friend, Zach, he was a cool, cool guy. And uh, we had fun there on Wednesday. And then Thursday, we had band rehearsal. And we did one of Josta's podcasts from the venue. And then Friday was rehearsal. And then we did the show. Because it's like a Josta and Friends thing where we had like uh, uh, Bobby Hamill from Biohazard. Uh, we had Dino, Dino. from Fear Factory. Yeah. And we had, we had uh, me. We had uh, Frank, Florida Frank. Uh, he breed one of he breeds guitars and then you had Jossa and um you know we do a little bit of everything like we even did we did bury me and smoke we ended we had four guitars so it's just, nice. uh, just all just fun you know we make a few bucks but it's a lot of fun and we yeah. did good and then we got back uh back saturday watch the saints game sunday and by like monday it just started hitting me man this week i'm like i'm just shot I'm like, I need to take a break, you know, from the beer drinking and blah, blah, blah. Because at home, I don't really, you know, I mean, I don't, yeah. she doesn't, so I don't. If she wants to go out and eat and have drinks or go and just have some drinks, we, we do that. But, you know, um, I'm like, I need a break. And it's like, well, the last few days, I just ended up always out of the fucking bed, man. So I felt much more normal today, thank God. Well, and, that's good. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'll say it again and when we're, when we're done, but... Uh, we just appreciate you uh, doing this with us. Yeah, we've been trying to get you on for a while, and <clears throat> you're such a good egg, and uh, we appreciate you and and everything. And I, and I love Tommy to death too. You know that. Oh, so, he yeah, he's the he's the happy guy. You know, he's he's kind of bubbly. I like that guy a lot. He's good. I wanted to ask you. Um, and you're you're too you're too humble to say this, so I'll say it for you. But I think there's probably a whole new generation of metal guitarists who look to you the way you look at Tony Iommi. You know, there's a lot of uh, younger true. kids that are coming up that are playing what you would call sludge metal or doom metal or whatever, and you're the godfather to them, just like Iommi was the godfather to you. So, how did you develop your style? Um, in terms of, you know, obviously I'm going to assume that Iomi was an influence, but in terms of gear and experimentation, what was the recipe that finally became the Kirk sound that we all know? Honestly, my biggest goal was and still is like, like with Crowbar, I've always tried love us or hate us. You know, we, there's only one band that sounds like Crowbar to us. And it's like I, I tried. Of course, I took every everything I could from Iomi and uh, you know uh, Bruce and uh, and and uh, Rick from Trouble, Trouble and, yeah. you know, uh, Dave Chandler from Vitus and all the Doom, you know, all the Doom guys, Wino and you name it. But uh, you know, I was in the uh, even King Buzzo. You know, I was really really into the first couple of albums. I still love them. Yeah. Before. But I mean, my idea was just to be to create something that didn't, that sounded like nothing else. You know, of course you can pick out, okay, obviously this guy's in the Sabbath and this and that, but you know, I really just worked a lot on not caring, you know, at the time that we started the band was in the late eighties, getting into the 1990-ish, you know, um, I had done my, you know, learned my chops doing the cover song thing and throwing in the originals, playing the Priest and Maiden covers and the whole nine yards. 
And uh, and yes, we did some docking and we did some, you know, uh, sure, was twisted sister, you know, but a lot of those we did, we did rat, we did whatever we had to, you know, definitely sure. old, old leopard and I watched it. And then I finally got kind of into a, a punkish band and that kind of led to just me going, you know what? I, I don't want to do covers anymore, nothing against them, but my biggest goal was just to sound to create my own playing style and to sound like for our band and for my playing to not sound like anybody else, like for somebody to go, Oh, that dude from Crowbar, yeah, well, I like it, but he sounds just like so and so. You know, whether you like it or not, I, I, I just didn't want it to be that way. So that way, I feel like you have achieved that. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like much. you really have. I think that your cover of Led Zeppelin's No Quarter awesome. is kind of like the just coming to mind. I mean, you, your crowbar doesn't isn't really stealing. I mean, I, of course, there's influence, and it's you just told a story about how that kind of you built that ship, but the 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 riffs in No Quarter feel like crowbar riffs yeah it's the perfect cover song it is a perfect cover song for you guys i think it's a such a good fit i mean the song led zeppelin's version is already fucking heavy as shit that's why i chose it i'm like (laughs) well that's that's, that's my favorite part of uh the song i made the same movie John Paul Jones in the cemetery, you know, I'm like when I was a little kid going to the midnight movie and shit, you know, I was finally old enough to get to get to go, you know, teenage or whatever. That was always my favorite part. I was, I was always like, you can make that song fucking heavy. Oh, we started doing it again for a little while. I actually really, I actually enjoyed doing it still. Yeah. Everybody else was bored to tears with it, but we changed right. up a lot of stuff on guitar and adding a lot of harmony. And vocally, uh, I think I sing it a lot better and a lot differently than I did back then. But the initial idea of it was like, you know, people people are going to be shocked. Um, you know, they, they're going to expect you to do, you know, the immigrant song, A Whole Lot of Love or something, you know, heavier or something. Now, even though No Quarter is super heavy in its own way, like I said, I'm more into the the vibe. Like, I'm, I'm so into the, the fact that vibe... And my, to me, is so much heavier than just sonic uh, distortion I, and volume. And I bombing. agree. Uh, to be to be Absolutely. clear, the part Led Zeppelin's version has like the mellotron or the keyboard yeah, part, man. and it's like this. Yeah. You know, it's the it's the witchy part. Yeah. And there's not yeah, even really part. a band plan. You're just playing this melody. Yeah, it's yeah. A, like it's almost like a classical piece, but it's played on a keys or, originally, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you guys are playing it on guitar. Your recreation of it is still haunting the same way the Led Zeppelin thing is, and maybe even creepier because it's it's fucking crowbar. Yeah. But <laughs> but the the, uh, the regurgitation. Well, that... I don't I don't even see that being a regurgitated thing. It sounds it fits the record that's on it fits your set it fits all these things and i I didn't mean for no quarter and crowbar's version to be this 10 minute talk about but but i i just wanted to prove the point that it's kind of like it's a it's also kind of reaching into a bustle in your head row it's kind of like this sort of like connection that 
you have to Zeppelin and your love for, you know, that something that they sort of instilled in you at an early age? I think there's a there's a point to be made here. And, and Kirk hit on it just a minute ago. Uh, there There's two different types of heavy there's there's heavy that's all the amps turned up to 11 and the distortion and, and, and then there's the drums. heavy yeah, that's yeah. the spooky like you listen to planet caravan by black sabbath to me that is heavy yeah. Yeah. and the music, the music yeah. isn't necessarily heavy but that song gives you the creeps you know if y'all are familiar with uh cathedral's version of solitude yes yeah which is amazing with the you know that the, the flute and everything in there and I'm like, I love Cathedral. I love all that shit. But I'm like, that's so fun. I, when I heard it, I was like, oh, my God. You know, and that, you know, not that I'm uh, necessarily, I'm trying to, to accomplish the same type of thing. But with the solo record stuff, that's what I want. It's about a vibe. Yes. It's not about sonically heavy. I already yes. do that with Crowbar. Why would yes. I want to yeah. repeat myself again, you know? Yes. So, I mean, this new solo record is a little more upbeat and it's a little... There's a few rockish numbers where I'm like, ah, this is more, you know, just whatever, just old school classic rock, but nothing heavy, heavy by any means. But it's a little more, a little more upbeat and stuff here and there than um, the solo record. But even with the solo record, doing on, on Dream in Motion, doing the uh, the Tall cover, yeah, um, with fucking uh, Aqualong, mm -hmm. it's kind of like I had never really played the song, so I just told Wayne. Whatever key it's out of, we're just gonna play it out of that key because I tuned to D standard um, in the, on my solo record, man. I use a five string bass and drop it. I tune I tune the the high four strings to to D, and then I drop it down to A. So that's where all the lows stuff comes yeah. from. But um, when we did the Aqualung, I just said let's just take it one fucking bar at a time or whatever and pick it up. And I said if I said we'll add some shit in the middle and. I'll see if, you know, because I'm not the greatest singer. I'm like, we'll see how, how it comes out. And I, I said, but I'm going to tell you what, if the guitar solo doesn't come out good, it's not going on the record. So <laughs> I, I did it. I, uh, I did it. Um, I think Martin Barre had said he was, he really felt nervous because I guess they were kind of like, all right, we really need you to get this in one take. And it's a long fucking solo. Mm -hmm. I'm doing a solo and I'm like, all right, I'm almost done, right? He goes, dude, you're not even halfway done. So what Dwayne and I did is I just took it one piece at a time. Yeah. And, you know, he punched me in and then I do it. So I don't even know how to play the whole stuff. I played the solo one time and that was in pieces on the record and that's it. But, you know, which I don't, I would never do that in a real band, but it's just a solo thing. But it was the same thing. I wanted to capture the vibe of, of Aqualung, you know, just being such an old classic song, at least to me. Um, yeah, and, and just to throw this up into the air for people kind of listening, it's like, if you're, you you may not know, even, yeah. even if you wrote the fucking song, it doesn't mean that you know it the day or the moment or the second they press record for you to play it. Right. So, I mean, Freddie Mercury saying one word at a time sometimes just to get it right. You're creating a vibe. You're painting a picture. Sometimes you got to clean the brush and wipe off the canvas at the same time. I agree, so, man. Yeah, you have to be careful about what it is that you're putting out into the world as far as your art. Uh, Aqualung, again, you pick great covers. Yeah. That song is heavy it, as fuck. I was <laughs> going to say. The original yeah, I, version is fucking heavy. Totally. Yeah. 
And you know what's another heavy song from Jethro Tull? Locomotive Breath, dude. Yep. That oh, thing yeah. is a monster. We used to do that, like, in my cover band. We used to do Locomotive Breath, and we did uh, Cross-Eyed Mary, like, heavy versions. Yeah, like, the, yeah, like, there's like, another one. Cross-Eyed Mary or whatever, you know. But, yeah, um, but yeah it's true. The, shit, the shit's heavy. But I agree with, like, like they, they, the one, one note at a time, because a lot of times, especially with me, I don't have the best voice control and I don't, I, I never learned how to sing properly. So, you know, I'm always ragging my shit out, even just talking right now, you know? So, uh, but what I, what I like to do is try, try to do a line at a time, but I just, I just sometimes go for it. Like if, if, if I'm getting comfortable with what I'm doing, I'll just, you know, Dwayne knows not to stop anything, you know? And luck, luckily with pro tools, it can't really get erased unless you really fuck something up. So, uh, but he knows to just let me roll and I'll roll like a whole, you know, a whole fucking uh, chorus and then say, dude, do it again. Let me double it. And then let me do a, a harmony on, uh, you know, on two and four or something, you know, on vocal. And he'll just say, go for it. And then we'll, we'll listen. And he's like, you know, I think it's killer. So if I can do it, I do it. But if not, I want to make sure that it's the best that I can do at least, you know. Of course. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I meant about about the solo, or it could be oh, yeah, any yeah. instrument. It could be, you know, the drums could be pushing too far, you know, too fast in one part, and need to pull back. You're just cutting that phrase or that measure. It's the same thing. Oh, totally. totally. Yeah, I, I want. I'm interested. We and we've kind of already talked about this, but I wanted to <clears throat> just ask a question. What is your approach? Let's just say crowbar to writing a song is it the same as when you're writing a song with down or is it different every time situational your approach to writing a lyric let's let's dumb it down to one thing uh writing a lyric is it really is it really like done in the studio at the mic or you know with the cans on or you know with a notebook or is it you know like I mean, you said earlier you had you had just a phrase do you right. have like you ever have like a like a, a verse and a pre-chorus and a chorus going in, or is it or is it different all the time? That's my. I question. mean, sometimes with crowbar, I'm I'm much more prepared than I am with the solo stuff because you know it's it's different. Once again, you know, it's just me. It's like I can go in and sing uh, one verse one day and to tell Dwayne, "Look, man, my voice is kind of feeling like shit. I'll just meet you at three thirty tomorrow afternoon. Sounds good." You know, I go back and do it and, and pick up from there, redo it and whatever. But I think my approach to writing for Crowbar, honestly, what, what really did change my approach, and it's kind of odd that this happened right around the time of the first, probably right after we wrote the first three down songs, was kind of watching when Phil produced the self-titled Crowbar record, um, you know, he came to rehearsal and he listened to a couple of songs and like one of our um, more popular songs off of that album is Existence is Punishment. And um, so we play in this song. It's got like six parts to it. And he goes. Uh. <laughs> got one, one really good riff and he goes and he kind of, in all honesty, really. um showed me how to write a song around like my my way of thinking since then which is probably fucking early 92 or something my way of thinking when i approach a song is if i got one killer riff i got a song 
it's going to write true. itself around that. It's true. And, yeah, and when, yeah. when he did, when we did like Existence as Punishment, the main riff, he said, that's the only good riff you got. He goes, the rest of them are not bad. But he goes, he goes, look, dude, you need to start writing songs. And, you know, of course, at first I'm a little depressed. And he's like, no, no, listen. He goes, this, this is going to tear. And he's right, you know, and, and it did. It taught me so much. He goes, you need to worry about writing songs and not just taking four and five riffs and gluing them together and calling it a song. Amen. It's a big difference. And that's why if you have one riff that you know is, I call it a money riff, the song is going to write itself. It might take a little while, but it's going to get there. Yeah. And with existence is punishment. He goes, do y'all have any songs that start out with bass? And we're like, no. He goes, all right, you can start this with bass. And he goes, okay. Keep and he, and he said, he goes, keep in mind, when you get to a point, and if you think about Pantera, it's, it's very true in a lot of ways. He goes, when you get to a certain point, a drum fill, a stop, and a drum fill can get you anywhere. You can be in gear five and this can get you to gear 60, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to, you don't have to keep on playing and then speed it up and whatever. He's like, no, it needs to have a break. Let it breathe for a second. And then you roll off, off and rolling again, you know. So like when we got to the chorus of the song, he goes, okay, come up with something that's a little more upbeat. So we did a break and Craig Nunemacher did a and we just kind of wrote it right then. And at the end, we're like, I'm like, damn, he's right. You can have two, one or two, one or two riffs and make a great song. And ever since then, as long as I got that one riff, I've always been like, I'll tell the guys in the band, I got to kill a riff. You know, let's let's get to, when we get to practice tomorrow, let's work on it. I got a few ideas. I'll fuck with it tonight. But you know, once you get that one money riff, and you know, you can build something around that, and you know, and one, but it takes you have to, you know, it takes a while. And I mean, obviously, I've written a lot of songs by now. I co-wrote co-written a lot of songs well you know you, you get to a point where you just like it's there's it's not really pressure anymore because you you know you you, you know you know you can do it because you've done it you know and uh, yeah and I, I like the part of your story where the look on your face when <laughs> your interpretation of philip yeah this one riff is good but then uh, rest <laughs> I mean, cause you can see him doing it <laughs> Totally. I'm going to be totally. honest, fellas. You got yeah. one killer riff in here and the rest is shit, man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the good news is, is uh, even Philip knows, and we all know, everyone here in this room knows that there are a lot of bands that have, there'll be an eight-minute song with ten riffs in it. I mean, Merciful Fate, even Megadeth, Metallica, uh, you know, it's everyone does it. But... You know, when you have that, I'll use your term, the money riff, you can, you can, you, you go back to that. Yes. You can have riff, riff two and three, and then go back to riff one, which is the money riff. Then you can have riff four and five, and then go back to the money riff. And I feel like most of the songs that we all know and love, uh, I won't mention any because they'll probably just be Metallica songs or Merciful Fate songs, but the, the, the approach is the same. If you have the hook, the riff is the hook. The right. money riff is the hook. When you hear the riff, you get emotional and you're like, fuck, you can see your audience move when that riff comes back. Absolutely. You can it's see true. the whole audience just like like have like this like like ex like exiting moment of emotion when that riff comes back every time. And that's yep. what and I think. A lot of times is. the money riff is, you know, it is the chorus. 
and you're not going right. to start with it a lot, you know, but you know, sure. you know, you might, I, I would like for me, I would still approach it as, okay, this is, this is, this will be a good course or sometimes the money rate is the verse, but okay, it's going to be a good verse. And you know, there's no, there's no rules as we know, you know, you do whatever you yeah. feel and that's what it's, it's supposed to be about emotion. And feel. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, going back to it, you know, you, like going in, you know, like, like having a middle section that takes you on a journey somewhere, but still fits the song beautifully. And then you come back in with the fucking money riff again. And you know, that the fans are back, the crowd's back feeding off of it, you know? Yeah. Well, you could say that about no quarter. Totally. You're going back and forth in between this thing. And then there's a bridge, you know? Yeah. And then they go back to the money riff. Yeah, and it's really, you know, it, it, it's there's so many, so many, so many. I mean, look, you know, looking at Sabbath or whatever, you know, into the void or something. It's just like, oh my okay, God. obviously, you're going to start out with, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of Iomi is like, okay, motherfucker, we're just going to do fucking, you know, um, Sabbath, bloody Sabbath, right here. <laughs> it's like here's your money riff right here. Yeah, and they and they live on it. So so here's the deal on Into the Void. I love it that you brought it up because Into the Void, that opening riff, I don't think that they go back to that. It's standalone. Barrel ga da 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 ba da ba da ba da ba ba. No, you're correct. That's like the intro. That's the intro. It's it's almost like its own planet, and then that's really the song. Yeah, yeah, and, and they like rely on that. Yeah, but I mean, I used to be bad about like it needs an intro, you know, because growing up, you listen to so many styles of music, and I'm like, all right, well, it's got to have an intro and it's got to have an outro, it's got to have a you know a heavy metal set, and, and it ended up being where well, I'm eating five and six riffs, and for some, for most bands, that probably <laughs> works, but for me, I'm just like, no, you really don't. You know, if you start out with a, with the guitar by itself, and then the band comes in and you're grooving, and then you say you're double timing, and you go to the half time right there when the vocal comes in, you're still on riff one. You're already making half in a fucking song. You know, it's like there's just there's so many ways to do it. But for me, that that that's like because people ask a lot of times, which, which what is the best bit of advice you've gotten on writing, or from you know, who you know who gave you the best advice on writing a song and I always tell him straight up without even batting an eye I'm like Phil Anselmo because that particular experience right there gave me same thing lyrically because here we are in the back of Big Todd our original bass player the big guy mm -hmm. me and Phil would sit together in the back uh, with the notebook and the cassette tape playing you know and I'm, I'm nervous because I don't have enough lyrics and he's like Nah, scratch that out, put this here. So he ended up, to be honest, writing a lot of lyrics on the self-titled as well. Wow. But going into the Time Hills Nothing, the third record, by that point, I was 100% confident. I always have been ever since because I did everything on my own lyrically, like with no help, without any. He had already given me some guidance and enough, you know, enough uh, just uh, guidance. Yeah, you know, just coaching sure. or whatever yeah. and, and teaching. And then, you know, from, from then on, it, I've been comfortable with anything, you know, that I've done, so. You, um, you, you're talking a, a, a bit about Phil here, obviously, and I, I wanted to ask you about the, the Pantera reunion, and, and I'm gonna assume that you're in favor of it because you have such close ties to it, but what would you say to anybody that's against it? And then the second part of my question, question is, yeah. Uh, what, no, so, number one, what would you say to anyone who's against the Pantera reunion? And number two, 
What are the odds that Crowbar gets on that tour? Well, I hope that question too is it's a positive. <laughs> that would be massive. Would it be I'm like planting a, a seed here. I'm planting a seed. Old, old times, man. It'd be great. But uh, but honestly, for people who are against it, I understand because the, the the very moment that Phil told us what was going to be going on, okay, that they were doing this, and it's been you know planned. But we were in Europe with Down when we found out, and like I remember kind of going. But dude, is it? Do y'all have to call it like Pantera? And I, you know, and I really did ask him. And he's like, "Well, yeah." He goes, "It is. It's Pantera." And I, and I, I started to think about it, and it never set set wrong with me from uh, even uh, you know a minute really or anything. I just started thinking about like the reality of what of what what you're dealing with here is a situation where. You know, by God, you know, the, it's so horrible that Vince and Diamond are not here with us. But you also got a situation with a band who has not only old school fans who have not seen them perform since fucking 2001 or whatever the last, uh, star, you know, shows were. Uh, you also got an entire new generation, including like my bass player, who's 34 years old, but was too young to actually go to a concert, you know, to travel or whatever and go see. So he's such a Pantera freak and a Dimebag freak. And, you know, there's so many younger kids that this, I mean, this is, this is the closest they're going to get to it. And I mean, I feel that the fact that they have Zach, who was so tight with, with Dime and Charlie, who's been so tight with the band forever, you know, filling in for, you know, and, and, and really, you know, it is, it is a, to me, when I think about it, it is, it is a, a tribute to a, a legacy. And, you know, I mean, the sad thing about every, anything like in a situation like this, you can't bring the guys back, you know, they're, they're, they're not with us any longer, Vinny and, and Dime, you know. Um, so to me, are they doing, uh, bad you know something pissing on the name or nothing or something not at all i think of anything that glorified it i mean the music is too fucking good too legendary it was too groundbreaking they were too amazing to not let people enjoy it and that's kind of where i feel on the negative people and and i feel that the whole generation or a huge generation of the old schoolers like myself uh, can't wait to see this and you're gonna have the generation of the younger kids who you know, I told Phil, I told Phil, um, we just, well, I just played with Down at the Blue Ridge Festival and the next day we played with Crowbar. Um, <clears throat> and I told Phil, I said, dude, there's more Pantera shirts at the shows now. And it's like young kids. I said, you know, like 22 year olds and shit who weren't even born or they were just, you know, an infant or some shit when, when, uh, when y'all were done with uh, reinventing the steel touring and then the, the band basically breaking up and then of course, you know, buying the situation and everything. I said, and he's, he was laughing. I said, dude, I, you know, I said, I, I said, I'm excited about it. I really am. And it, and it you know, it, it didn't take but a second for it to hit. Cause it, I always thought that, I mean, events could have been involved as well, of course, but that never would have happened, you know, but, uh, you know, if, if any could have been in it as well, and, and uh, I think that would have been amazing. And that's not not against Charlie. It's just, you know, but I still think I think that it's going to be, you know, amazing. You know, uh, and and I'm I'm looking at as a fan, 
you know, as a friend of, of all of those guys, you know, I'm looking very forward to it. So, I mean, to the, like, like we all, we all have a joke amongst ourselves with, with Crowbar, because of course, that's all everybody's talking about every day at shows. We just got off, off doing fucking 40 show fucking tour. And it's like, we're like all the haters that are like, oh, fuck this shit. I said, they're all going to be there doing this. And three songs in, they're going to be fucking doing this. And yep. you know, everything's going to be fine. Yeah, yep. all yeah. of the haters are hating now, and they're sitting behind their computers and their phones hating right yeah. now. So they're going to be at the I show think, in the front row. <clears throat> we all know it. I think Crowbar is a perfect fit as an opening act on that tour. Look at Dave getting the plant the seed. He's just like <laughs> loving. See? He's just putting fruit on the tree that um, he planted yet. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I mean, we love, of course, you know, well, of course we love to do it, but sure. and for many, many reasons. You know, because people are not there, you know, because I was my guys were asking me, what do you think? There's a shot. And I just said, look, man, they don't need anybody to sell tickets and they're not going to get some new bigger band or something to come out. And I said, I said, yeah, there's a shot. I said, you know, it's kind of nostalgia, but, you know, we did, a did you know, touring with them when we were very early in our career, which really helped launch us big time, you know, and, and all, of, all of the bills are. Uh, Support and all of the guys support really they were all very very helpful you know I'll forever be indebted to that but yeah I mean we'd love to get you know if they're gonna do X number of runs man give us one you know fuck we'll go on early whatever you know? <laughs> there you go there you go it, it, it would be great to it'd be different you know of course but you know that's some of the greatest uh, you know metal and rock and roll and just party time memories in my life is you know, oh my god i, I bet guys, you could uh, tell stories till the cows came home oh yeah, yeah. tell us you, one ones tell us you, one ones that you remembered i have a question before he tells us a a, a, a story from a crowbar pantera tour yeah is uh is what do you think i mean those guys are in dallas rehearsing right now or like they will be in a week or something right right yeah, what what do you think that let's let, what do you think a day uh, a, a fly on the wall in the rehearsal room is going to be seeing that day? Hearing, uh, I mean, I think uh, I think it's going to be brilliant. You know, I talked to Rex a couple of times, and I think you know, I think once they just get in there and get through a couple and kind of yeah. feed off each other and it's sounding killer i think it's going to be all all good man you know? magic i think this exactly. is it's, it's not it's never going to not be magic because the the feel and the and the real reasons that you do these things um are there you know which yeah. is tri to a tribute to like i said a band that's a, has such a legacy and such a groundbreaking band and the fact that you got two fallen brothers you know that uh yeah are being, you know, paid respect to for what they gave to this metal community forever, you know. Yeah. I don't know if people, yeah. if it's really sunken in yet, how, how fucking big this is going to be. Oh, I, 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 I hear a few inside things here and there, but you know, I'm, I'm, and uh, yeah, I've, more, I've, so, I've, more I've, so from like crew people, you know, not I don't talk. Yeah. It, you know, yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna, I was gonna say I've talked to Bobby about it a couple of times. So yeah, there's yeah, a couple yeah. things. Kind yeah, of like yeah. In fact, we did too because we went over to the Gibson, uh, Gibson factory yeah. thing, uh, Gibson shop that Bobby, you know, and uh, they're in Austin. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And we went over and and uh, fucked around on, gu on guitars all day and talked shit, man. Had some fun, you know, when we were there. But um, 
last time we went out. But yeah, man, so it's it's gonna be huge. And I mean, oh, yeah. do it. we're like, if you're gonna do it, do it right, you know. Tell yeah. us, uh, you, you, you brought up that touring with Pantera was some of the craziest times of your life. Tell us one story. What was, out of all the craziness, which, what's what's the one that you can remember? I mean, I can remember, which is strange, considering the alcohol or something. <laughs> I can remember pretty much everything, and not considering how long ago it was. You're going on, on fucking 30 years now on, on yeah. some of them, you know. But, uh, but in all honesty, and, it, and I'm being... Just, I'm not dodging anything because I'm because y'all know me and everybody knows. Yeah. I don't mind, you know. I just tell it like it is, and you know, try not to whatever. I'm not gonna, you know, keep something to myself. But there's really no one particular story. It's just, it's almost just like one big memory of just everything from when Phil first joined and they're still doing covers, and you know, along with some of the earlier material. Like, and then, you know, like when Power Metal came out, you know, around that time and all, um, it's a, it's one big thing from then until the end, really, of just, it, you know, and I, and I always told, tell Rob and my wife, I'm like, babe, I'm like, because I really did, uh, I never really smoked. Uh, I like to drink and, uh, we know, you know, Don like to drink as well. So, you know, like right away, just from, from when Phil first joined, really, me and Dime kind of started hitting it off just because, you know, w you know, Phil's trying to listen to the most obscure underground music he can find. I mean, damn it, Dime are jamming on like, you know, Rock and Roll Over Kiss and um, Defenders of Faith Priest and, you know, Cheap Trick and just talking about all that shit. We just had so much in common with the Kiss, the Van Halen, the... Uh, the um you know all of that stuff the, the, the priest and everything man that uh and you know we just we we had a lot of a lot of stuff in common with just being goofy and like i told i told my wife i said all it was was two grown men being stupid 14 year olds listening to heavy metal and drinking way too much alcohol <laughs> and that's really all it was a bunch of and a bunch of funny shit happened of course you know but it was yeah. never you know, it was never, it was the exact opposite of like the Motley Crew and Poison thing with all the groupies and all I said. That's right. Like, we, wanted, we wanted to fucking get drunk and jam. We were, nobody's interested, you know, and all that. And that's the truth, man. It was just, hey, man, let's crank, let's, let's crank some fucking priest up. You know? Yeah, you didn't get into rock and roll. You didn't get into rock and roll to get chicks. No. I tell people that. Either. I tell people that too. I, I was a, I was a shy kid, and when I found rock and roll, it was like a way for me to communicate. Absolutely. And that's it. And that's it. There was no agenda other than just to be, oh, this makes me feel something, you know. So it really saved my life, kind of. So it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, I mean, uh, me, me too. I mean, I, I was very big into sports and shit, and I wasn't. Yeah. I, I was like the class clown. I really was. I was a very, you know. I, I can uh, see that. I'm uh, uh, going and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, I still am a clown <laughs> you know just not in class anymore thank god but um <laughs> but yeah man like for me you know it's like like i tell people all the time i'm like yeah when i was 12 you know look staring at my kids posters and listening on the headphones and 
I got blue and green lights screwed in the different shit around the house, and my my walls are covered in posters. You know, I'm like you're living inside yeah, of a rock. You're living inside of a rock and roll show, man. Yeah, but you know, but I was like, yeah, for a short while, I'm like, wow, you know, because I'm just hitting puberty, and I'm like, they get all these fine girls, man, and they're making us money, and they're millionaires, and they're rock stars. That's why I want to be a rock star, and that that did not last long at all. No, and it's the truth. It became for me my love of music and. You know, I I always say it. Luckily, you know, I'm 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 completely blessed because I'm able to do what I feel I was born to do. And you know, although I'm not rich, I make a living doing it, and that's fucking blessing. You know, there ain't many of us that can say that. You know, and it's like, you know, uh, and I get getting to do it with with my wife is very important to me. You know, like I said to us, it's like I said earlier in in the in the chat. You know, I said. It's more like a family business thing, you know, and and and, and I it, it 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 makes my heart feel good when she gets excited about something, you know, like a t-shirt design or on this and that or okay, blah 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 blah, whatever it might be. So that's the way that I approach it these days, you know. Yeah, but it's yeah. Always, always been about the music, and that's you know, that, that's that's the difference in a lot of other bands, you know. It's not, you know, I mean. There's tons of success. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure when a lot of these guys were, because back in the 70s and stuff, you know, a lot of these bands, guys are starting out at six, 16, 17 years old and shit. Yeah. You know, ripping up the guitar, good looking young guys on vocals and shit. Maybe, maybe back then it was about, you know, trying to get girls and shit like that. But once they got serious about music, it became about music, you know. Oh, yeah. And, and you can tell as they got older, you know. So, yeah. We should talk a, a minute about uh, Kingdom of Sorrow. You, you mentioned yeah. Jamie, you mentioned Jamie Josta earlier in the conversation, and uh, um, what's the status on on that band? And I know you've collaborated now with Jamie, and obviously with Phil and Rex. And so, number one, what's the status of Kingdom of Sorrows? And number two, who's out there that you would love to collaborate with that you haven't yet? Um. <clears throat> As far as King of the Sorrow, I mean, Jamie and I, you know, we were just talking about it last week because we were, you know, in Orlando. And uh, Jamie uh, manages Grobar and, and me, um, along with his manager. But um, so, you know, we're constantly talking business and stuff like that. And he, believe me, he's the business of our, our friendship and working thing. You know, yeah. I'm the worst business guy in the world with, with all this shit. And you know, I'm lucky to have him as a, as a good friend, great friend, and 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 to help out with all that stuff. But we're definitely gonna do something with Kingdom of Sorrow. You know, um, we had a lot of fun doing it, and you know, it's one of them things. It's it's like music. It, it, it I like so many styles of music that you know I, I love hardcore, and Crowbar's got a little bit of hardcore, and it's here and there, but not not as much as like. Especially the first Kingdom Records got some ripping hardcore shit on it, you know. So yeah, I love I love the stuff, you know. But as far as collaborating, I mean, I'm I'm really one of them guys that I'm open for anything. And really, a lot of times, maybe not even the obvious. Like I think I think that the older I get, the more I think about it. It would be fun to collaborate with somebody who plays a completely different style of music than I do, so that we could like kind of. I don't want to say show each other stuff, but y'all know what I mean. We could yeah, take, yeah. take what we're doing in a direction that's okay. He would never do this or she, whatever it might be, you know, would never do this. 
and uh you know vice versa you know so it's something where if i got with a person that because i'm a sucker for for pop music if i got with a person that was a great pop songwriter you know old school cheap trick style shit or whatever like i was talking about i love all that stuff i would love to collaborate and just make it help make it heavier but still make it you know as, as hooky as possible yeah yeah so Good nobody in, in particular, no one per, person in particular, I'm open for anybody. And, you know, it's just about finding time, you know, yeah. as it gets, you know, older. But uh, I, I, I like the fact that you said that you would, uh, you didn't name a person in particular, but I like the fact that you said you would uh, be interested in moving outside of the genre you're known for to where you could blend your talents with someone from another genre or songwriting approach or whatever that i mean uh, the older i get and the more i think about it if i'm gonna do something I, that's kind of why i did the solo thing but yeah um you know it's kind of like uh i think it's it's more interesting not just to me i think it would be more interesting to the to fans to collaborate with somebody outside of metal and stuff and can just see what the fuck we came up with, you know? Yeah. And it's one of those things, the good things about, about these collaborations is I've only, I've never really done one that, that well, I've had a couple that we kind of tried to get it off the ground, didn't happen. But in general, you know, um, if, if, it, if you get it in there together and you're just unable to click as far as songwriting partners or whatever it might be, you know, you can always go out to dinner and have a couple of beers and just say, hey, we gave it a shot, you know, whatever. You don't, you know, it's not like something that a record company put together. We're sticking these four guys together and this is going to be a, a super group, you know, type thing or something like that. And then they try to get together and it's just not good. They right. need to realize the record company is who who they can't they don't know what the dichotomy is going to be. They have no idea. Exactly. They just looks good on paper. It's right. usually the producer that's, they're producing something. They're trying to put something on the shelf for people to buy with a brand on it. But that yeah. doesn't mean it's going to work. You can't, uh, you can't force chemistry. No, it's it's the same thing with like if, uh, if, if, you know, someday you go into the studio and you don't have a riff or a lyric or anything and you try and you try and you try and, it, and it's just crap. That's when you, like you said, you go out to dinner. You get the engineer and the producer. You say, ah, fuck it. Let's just try again tomorrow. It, it's terrible when that happens because usually if you're paying for studio time, you just wasted money. But you have to go <laughs> through that than, sometimes. It's better than putting out crap. Yeah. Amen. Well, yeah. Amen. Yeah. But, I, but well, I can't, wait for the, I can't wait for the, uh, the Kirk Winstein, Billie Eilish record to come out. <laughs> She's doing something right. Yeah, yes, man. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Exactly. Send her some riffs, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I it, honestly, if I could collaborate with with a, like a, uh, I mean, look, I'd go spend a day in the studio with her and see what the fuck happened. What you got to lose? You know. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely the thing, nothing. What if, What if she actually sat down and said, "Hey, what do you got?" You froze up on us. Yeah. We can edit that. I needed to go take a leak while we're. Go do it. We'll wait. Well, he's he'll come back. All right, I'll be right back. P piss break. Mm -hmm. Tonight, 
Hey man, uh, so, hey man, we had a blast hanging with you today, and um, well, we all good. We loved having you. We got enough. Uh, we got enough great, great stuff, and and we can try to do this again sometime, just whenever, like when you have a, a, a you know something to promote, something like you're when working he's opening on. for Pantera. Yeah, like like Dave says, <laughs> like when you're opening for Pantera, we can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> that got a good laugh out of him, Dave. So, so listen, uh, Kirk, stay in touch, and uh, just just thanks for everything, man. Yeah, yeah man, you. it was a good hang. Thanks, and, Kirk. Uh, have a have a great night. Dave says thanks as well. Have a good night, buddy. Thanks. Bye bye. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he's he's fucking over it. <laughs> He's over. He went. He goes, man. I just can't get my shit to work. <laughs> so just yeah. to, just to be clear, the last thing that we were kind of like, and we were joshing around a little bit, was, you know, when's the new Billie Eilish, uh, Kirk Winstein record coming? Yeah, out? yeah. And so, and he was like, hey man, I'm down. Yeah, I'm ready to do that. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> anyway, uh, it was great. It was great having uh, Kirk Winstein from uh, from Crowbar Kingdom of Sorrow Volume Knob. Did you know about that one, Dave? No, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I have know. the Volume Knob CD somewhere behind me. I have like a promo copy. It was like one of his mini bands. And of course, down Kirk Winstein, everybody on the Talk Louder podcast. <laughs>